Well, good morning, everyone. How are y'all doing? Good. So, um, if you've been around here for any number of years, you may have heard me mention this before, but how many of you have heard of the survival rule of three? Anybody know what that is? Anybody who's a Bear Grylls fan? He was mentioned in that alpha video, but basically it can be summed up as follows. In any extreme situation, be it, let's say, a deserted island in the South Pacific or the middle of the Sahara Desert or maybe some Canadian wilderness in the dead of winter, you can only survive three minutes without air, three hours without shelter, three days without water, and three weeks without food. I mean, it's a general rule, obviously. But it's all about establishing priorities in order to meet these four basic human needs that we have, air, shelter, water, and food. Now, fortunately, the vast majority of us will most likely never find ourselves in such extreme situations that we will have to put into practice this rule of three, and thank God for that. And as this map indicates, our state is actually well prepared in the off chance that a zombie apocalypse occurs, which is good news. I don't know why. I don't know why the South there is not as prepared. I don't know. This was actually in the Wall Street Journal, just so you know, which is very odd. But that being said, these four basic needs must still be met in our day-to-day -day lives, whether we're in extreme situations or not. I mean, for many of us, a large portion of our paycheck, if not most of it, goes toward meeting those four basic needs. The money that we make puts food on the table, pays for the rent or mortgage, it puts clothes on our back and shoes on our feet. And if at the end of the month we are fortunate enough to have some money left over, we still spend much of that money on these very same things, but now we upgrade our shelter. Or if we're Erica, our youth pastor, we buy pumpkin spice lattes, uh, which she's drinking today. I don't know, she hid from me. Um, maybe you get that pair of designer jeans that's been sitting on your wish list since Christmas. I don't know. Air, shelter, water, and food. Four basic needs that you can't live without. Well, here's the thing. In addition to those four basic needs, research has discovered one more critical need that's required for our survival long term, and that's what we're going to look at this morning as we begin a new series of talks entitled Circles. So let's pray once again. God, we thank you for this opportunity to... Um, share what's, what I think is on your heart and to look at the scriptures and see what the Spirit has to say to us. And so we ask for your blessing on the rest of this service and uh, may we be open to whatever it is you want to do. We ask in your name. Amen. I'm going to read from the beginning of the Hebrew scriptures in Genesis chapter 2. starting in verse 5. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had, sent, had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. 
Then the Lord God formed a man, literally Adam, meaning the earth creature. I love that. Um, <laughs> that's what my name means, Adam, the earth creature. So you can call me earth man if you want. Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Jumping to verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper, a companion, suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he had brought her to the man. The man said, whoa, man. He said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Well, Scripture reveals, I believe, a fundamental insight into our human condition. It's not good to be alone. We all need meaningful shared connections with others, what we might call companionship or quite simply friendship. While it's true that one can live alone and survive physically when those other four basic needs are met, you know, air, shelter, food, water, I think it's difficult to live spiritually emotionally, holistically, without meaningful relationships. And in fact, research now suggests that intimacy is actually a critical biological need. In Gary Smalley's book, DNA of Relationships, he cites research indicating that loneliness and isolation increase the likelihood of disease and premature death from all causes by 200 to 500% or more. In other words, every single one of us is in need of another. We are deeply connected to one another, whether we realize it or not. The question is, have we structured our lives accordingly? Do we live in a way that honors this deep insight into reality? I mean, let's be honest, it's tough. Relationships are hard. There are, and there are a lot of things that are vying for our attention and our time. But I believe that we have an opportunity right here to invest in each other, to commit to a practice of sharing meaningful relationships where no one has to do life alone. Will it be easy? No. Is it possible? Yeah, I believe it is. And it's possible because Christ, the one who stands at the very center of this community, says this to us. This is John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants 
because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Friends. Friends of God. That's what we are. Did you know that? Friends of God. Now, I know that when we, can, when we speak of friendship with God, it can come off as kind of sounding warm and fuzzy, right? You know, you know, before we were servants who did our master's bidding, it was so demanding and hard. But now we're just friends, right? Who laugh and play and hang out together. And so friendship with the divine can sometimes come off as sounding a bit trite. But while friendship certainly includes those things like play and laughter and simply hanging out, it is so much more than that. Most of us are familiar with the famous English author C.S. Lewis. Well, Lewis expected to live his entire life as a bachelor. He enjoyed its routines, its comfort, its predictability, but then he met a woman named Joy, and his life was never quite the same. Now, their marriage lasted only a short time because Joy fell ill with cancer and passed away, but in the few years they had together, Joy changed Lewis's life in surprising and unexpected ways. She helped him out of his shell and taught him lessons in trust and caring and openness. She educated him in the deep mysteries of love, suffering, loss, and hope. And while it's true that they were husband and wife, they were more than anything else best friends. And as best friends do, they made one another better and their world much larger as they helped each other grow in goodness, holiness, and love. And so it's no surprise to hear C.S. Lewis say to Joy one day, you were alive before, I wasn't. I started living when I started loving you, Joy. That makes me only a few months old. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? But that's friendship. See, friendship has the power to change us. And our friendship with God has the power to shape us in a community, into a community of friends for one another. Friends of God being friends for one another. Learning what it means to be loved by another and then extending that very same love to our neighbor. You see, in friendship, love of God and love of neighbor come together. It's circular, so to speak. I've mentioned this before, but I think it's a really important insight, so it bears repeating. Back when I first started taking following Jesus seriously, I used to struggle thinking that somehow my love for God was in competition with my love for others, and this was especially true when I fell in love with my wife, Kat. There was a part of me that felt like my love for her was somehow a distraction, that it was taking away from the deep intimacy that I had developed with God. And then one day God helped me to see that loving her was the same as loving God, that I couldn't separate the two. As the Apostle John would write, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. 
and God in them. This is how love is made complete. See, God comes to us in our friends. God comes to us in our friends. And it's really quite simple. It's why I love that passage in, in that letter of John's. It's, he's, just, he's distilled down the essence of Christ's message to that. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God. And God in them. Period. We like to overcomplicate things, right? All the theology, all the dogma. But there's one thing. You know, I, we can argue about theology, we can argue about, you know, ritual and dogma and politics and ideology, but when it comes down to it, I remember telling my spiritual director, when it comes down to it, I might have doubts about everything else, but there's one thing that I will hang my hat on, and that is that I believe that God is love and that in God we live and move and have our being. The rest is just rah, 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 rah. <laughs> James Finley is a clinical psychologist and faculty member at Richard Rohr's Center of, uh, for Action and Contemplation in Albuquerque. And on a recent episode of his podcast, Turning to the Mystics, he talks about how the famous monk Thomas Merton became his spiritual director. He told about how he grew up in Akron, Ohio with a violent, violent alcoholic father. And in the ninth grade, he was sent to an all-boys Catholic high school. In one of his religion classes, they talked about monasteries. Well, he had never heard of monasteries before, but since prayer had played an important part in helping him survive the abuse that was happening at home, his interest was piqued. So he went to the library and found a book by Merton, The Sign of Jonas, which is a journal that he wrote while in the monastery. It had such an impact on him that, that at 14 years of age, he began writing to the monastery. And when he graduated from high school at 18, he entered the monastery himself, and Merton became his spiritual director. His friendship with Merton was life-changing, and one of the things he said about it really spoke to me. He said this, The reality of Thomas Merton made God's unreality impossible to me. I'm going to read that again, because it's juicy. The reality of Thomas Merton made God's unreality impossible to me. And he goes on and he says, that is, Merton's very reality was to me the presence of God as a transformed person. See, God comes to us in our friends. See, if we want a tangible, very practical way to love God, Let's start with the person sitting next to us, right here. Like, we could spend the rest of our lives just doing that. I've said that before, that it's like, again, we overcomplicate things in churches all the time. We bicker and fight about all this stupid stuff. And it's like, in the end, if we would just practice learning to love our neighbor, 
Like, just let's learn how to love well. Like, that would be life-changing. So we can start right here where we are. It's not always going to be easy, but then again, nothing that is worthwhile in life is easy. And the thing is, we were made for this. It's not only critical for our survival, but it's also critical for our ability to really flourish as individuals and as families and as friends. And like James Finley said, or like James Finley, I guess, just I've gone through seasons of my own life where I question the reality of God, where I struggle to give any time to prayer. But like Finley, I also have companions whose reality makes God's unreality impossible for me. For instance, if I can't bring myself to prayer, if I can't find it within myself to pray at some point, I know that there are others who are praying with me and for me. I'm not alone in my prayers. We are interdependent. We forget that sometimes because we, we, we've grown up in a culture that, that thrives on independence, on being an individual. But that's not reality. Reality is interdependent. We are all deeply connected with one another. And our prayers are, deeply, are, are a deeply connecting medium. See, I and you, we are sustained sustained by the prayers of our friends and family. And then there are times when I know that my friends, when my family, they will find themselves in moments where they can't find themselves to pray or where they question the reality of God. And then I can, can be for them what they were for me. I can be the reality of God for them. How fortunate they are to have me then to pray with them and for them. See, God comes to us in our friends. Every single one of us is, is in need of another. That's just the way it is. And so I ask this question again, have we structured and shaped our lives accordingly? Do we live in a way that deeply honors this insight into the human condition. It's something to think about. One of the ways that, as a church, we try to honor this deep insight of reality and help foster those kinds of friendships here at the Vineyard is with small groups. We talk about small groups a lot um, in the fall and in the spring when, when we're encouraging people to join them. But, you know, as much as we love to gather here, you know, as a larger group, uh, on Sundays, there's something that is uniquely powerful about gathering in a small group with other people. It's a place where stories are shared, where spiritual practices are, are, and rhythms are developed, and friends come alongside to support us. I really think that small groups are a place where God comes to meet us in our friends. And so again, I encourage you to go online this week, check out our small groups page, where you can see what we have available. Like I said, next Sunday we're going to be hosting a small group fair where you can meet the leaders of each group. Um, and then I just want to mention something briefly, and that is one small group initiative that we're launching this fall is something called Circles. Now, unlike a formal small group, Circles are a more, you might say, grassroots 
option that provide a lot of flexibility and they're generally smaller, like say three to four people, maybe five, six people at the most. And by grassroots meaning, it means that anybody can form a circle by gathering with others who they want to journey with. And there's no need to get anything approved, you just do it. <laughs> And if you are here and you want to be a part of a circle, but you're new, you don't know many people, you can let us know and we can form a circle for you. There's a place on the website in the small group section where you can click on circles, you can fill out a form. Even if you do join together with some others to form a circle, we'd love to know that and so you can fill out who's in your circle as well. There's a basic format that we recommend when circles gather that's designed around a series of questions. It's super easy, it's the same questions every week, so it requires like no planning other than if you're reading some scripture together for that week. Um, and we have in the back table, just as you leave the sanctuary, this is um, a printout that has the format for circles, so you could just grab one of these on your way out. If it looks interesting and you wanna form one, go ahead and do it. Um, and there's also a PDF of this on the website that you'll be able to just download if you want. So I encourage you to check out this, this initiative called Circles. I think it'll be really cool, uh, a cool option um, to run alongside more, the more traditional small group. But let me just repeat that, what I've mentioned a number of times this morning, and that is that every single one of us is in need of another. And I truly believe that God comes to us in our friends. And so how can we live in a way that honors this deep insight in reality? Question just to take with you this week to think about, you know, what are some things that I can do to nurture and foster my friendships or to meet new people, make new friends, to see someone who maybe doesn't have companions who they can journey with and invite them into your circle, <laughs> literally or figuratively. Amen?